Well, good morning. That's, I think we could do better. Good morning. Okay, good to be awake at the beginning of the sermon, right? Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Matthew. That's where we're going to be this morning, Matthew chapter 12. Uh, that's at least where we will start. We'll uh, see a few other texts, uh, so keep your Bible ready. But Matthew 12, verses 33 through 37 is where we are going to begin. We find ourselves in part two of our very short sermon series called uh, Resisting Gossip. And in part two today, hopefully we will learn uh, how, to, uh, how to resist gossip by learning about the reason for gossip. So this morning, we're going to be exploring the motivation in our hearts. Why do we gossip? What's the reason for our gossip? So Matthew chapter 12, I uh, hope you're there. If you don't have your own Bible, there should be a few Bibles in the pew backs in front of you. If you don't have access to either of those, the text uh, should be up on the screen. Matthew chapter 12. I trust that you're there. So let's, uh, let's pray one more time. And uh, then we'll get right into our sermon this morning. Father, thank you for the day. Thank you that we can come and gather together as your blood-bought people. For those of us who have personally placed our, our faith and our trust and our hope in nothing less than the perfect life and his perfect obedience, uh, the obedience of Jesus and Jesus, his perfect death, bearing our sins, uh, taking your wrath for us, and the, the, the resurrected new eternal new creation life that he offers to us by his resurrection we come as a, as a people humbled who recognize that if it were not for Christ, we would be nothing. And we come this morning and we examine, Father, this very pertinent and real subject of what we say with our mouths and what we choose to allow to come into our ears. Father, your word has much to say about our tongues and why we speak and, and from which we speak from and how utterly significant the words that come across our lips are to you and for us and for our spiritual health. You have much to say about gossip, and so help us. Father, we don't want to be a gossiping church. We don't want to be a gossiping Christian. And so help us by the power of Christ to recognize that we have been given a new heart with new desires that can overcome the, the, the old heart, these, these old desires that remain in our flesh to sin with our lips. And for those, Father, today who have not been born again, their heart is wholly corrupt and bad, and they speak out of which is corrupt and bad, including gossip. May they see that it's not just a word problem, but it's a heart problem that only Jesus Christ can fix as he imparts to them new desires, new longings, a new heart when they believe and personally trust in him. So help us, we pray, Jesus, in your name we ask it, the name above every name. And all of God's people together said, amen. So if you're taking notes, our sermon today will be in a couple parts. Uh, first of all, we're going to see the grounds of gossip. The grounds of gossip, that is, uh, what is the groundwork for our gossip? What, what are, are the, the underlying reasons? What, what is our motive? Why do we gossip? We'll see the grounds of gossip. And then secondly, we will see the gallery of gossips. And we'll see uh, four types of gossips. Uh, that the Bible describes to us, and then speculate a little bit about some of the motives, some of the evil heart out of which we gossip. So first of all, let's see the grounds of gossip. Why is it that we get involved in gossip? Uh, if you are in your Bible, uh, Matthew 12, I think, is a very good place for us to turn that answers this question. Not only the question of why do we gossip, but really why do we say anything at all? Where do our words come from? So first of all, we're going to see the source of our words. Secondly, we'll see the symptoms that our words are. And then third, we will see the significance 
of our words. So Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 through 37, just to give you a bit of a context as to what we see in the gospel of Matthew here. Jesus, in Matthew 12, had just healed a demon-possessed man, uh, a spectacular miracle. He had healed this man who was demon-possessed. However, uh, the religious elite of his day, called the Pharisees, uh, weren't particularly happy that he did it. Uh, They uh, begin to complain about it to him and to others. And they claim, and here's where it gets to their words, the power and the significance of our tongue. They say with their lips that he cast out this demon according to the power of Satan. That is, Satan helped Jesus cast this demon out. That's what they say. And so in Matthew chapter 12, Jesus goes on to refute that. He gives some pretty convincing logic and arguments as to why it wasn't by the power of Satan that he cast out one of Satan's demons. And then he goes on to talk about the source of the words of the Pharisees. So he begins to address the heart out of which these Pharisees speak these blasphemous words. Where did these words come from? What was the source of the words by which they would say, Jesus, that wasn't by your power, that was by Satan's power that you did this. And so he talks about the source of their words, and really he talks about the source of all of our speech, of all of our words. Where do they come from? First of all, in verses 33 and 34, Jesus teaches us about the source of our words. Where do they come from? Verses 33 through 34, and uh, I forgot to bring my Bible, so I'm going to grab one. (laughs) Preacher without a Bible, that's no good. Somebody uh, help me out here. There's one. There we go. Okay, Matthew chapter 12. You're there, but I'm not, so uh, I will get there shortly. And in Matthew chapter 12, I thought I had everything. Apparently I didn't, right? Matthew chapter 12, let's take a look then at verses 33 and 34. This is the word of the Lord. Verse 33. Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruits. Verse 34. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Notice that very last Phrase. What does Jesus teach us about the source of our words? He says this, The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. That is, the words of our mouth is simply the overflow of what is in our heart, right? And so what we say is an indication of something that's in our hearts. So the source of our words ultimately come from that which is within. Uh, The Bible talks about our hearts simply being the seat of our emotions, the seat of our desires, the seat of our will, what we really desire, what we want. And so Jesus says, hey, when you speak, you're indicating what you want, what you desire, what you long for. That is the source of your words. Dr. Joseph Stowell, who was uh, formerly the president of Moody uh, Bible Institute. Right, guys in the back? Moody? Yeah, go Moody. Uh, He said this about our words. He said, all talk is heart talk. Catch that. All talk is heart talk. What did he mean by that? He simply is reiterating what Jesus is teaching about the source of our words, that 
All of our talk, everything that we say is an indicator of what is within us, of our desires, of our motives. So we see the source of our words is is our heart, right? But Jesus goes on. Second of all, Jesus teaches that our words are symptomatic. That is, our words are symptomatic. They are symptoms of something that is within our heart. That is, our words show us something about our heart. Not only do they come from our heart, but they actually show us, they reveal something about our hearts. Notice verse 35. Verse 35, Jesus continues, A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. So, so what does he say? He says, not only do our words come from within, but if, our, if what is within is good, well then good things are going to come. But if what is within is bad, well then bad things are going to come. Notice back in verse 33, he uses the analogy of a tree, right? He uses the analogy of a, of a tree and its fruit. I'll read it again. Make a good tree and its fruit will be good, right? So if the tree is good, then what is the fruit going to be? It's going to be good. Or make a, bad tr- a tree bad and its fruit will be bad, for a tree is recognized by its fruit. It's simply reiterating the fact that our words are symptomatic. Now, uh, I'm not much into uh, agriculture. I'm, I'm learning. After six and a half years here, I'm, I'm trying to learn about how agriculture works and things like that. Uh, we, we actually did our very first garden this year, and uh, we, we made things from the ground. It was pretty cool. Uh, so I, I have learned, though, that certain years uh, the fruit is good, and certain years the fruit is bad. So let me ask you, was, how were your fruit trees this year? Good? They were very good, weren't they? I, I don't know much, but I know this. I, I drive around town, and I see, say, like an apple tree, and its branches literally are sagging to the ground because it has so much fruit. It's so abundantly bearing the fruit. Uh, many of you have offered us apples from your fruit trees. In fact, at, at this point, if you app, uh, offer us any more, I may say no because I'm tired of making applesauce, okay? We've made, but you can give them to us. We'll take them. Uh, the fruit is just abundant. So what is that indicative of? If I were to ask you, what does that say about the root system? What does that say about the health of that tree? Well, you would say that tree is healthy, right? It's had everything it's need to produce good fruit. However, let's say the truth is, is uh, the tree is not healthy. Let's say it's not producing lots of fruit. What would you say? Well, there's something that's unhealthy at, at the root, at the core of that tree. And that's the analogy that Jesus uses. He says the external evidence in a tree of good fruit in a tree tells us something about the internal reality of its roots and the trunk system. That is, it's healthy or it's unhealthy. Likewise, the external evidence of our words. The external evidence of our words indicates the internal reality of our hearts, right? So what's the source of our words? Well, it's from within. It's also symptomatic. It's indicative of what's going on, whether good or bad, inside of us. Third, in verses 36 through 37, Jesus teaches us about the significance of our words. About the significance of our words. Do our words really matter? How important are they to God? Let's read these sobering words in verse 36 and 37. But I tell you, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for some empty words. Is that what it says? No. What? We'll have to give an account for every, for every empty word 
that they have spoken. Just chew on that just for a bit. Every empty word that has ever been uttered, we will have to give an account before a holy God. Verse 37, For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. And I take that to mean what we see is that our words are indicative of our hearts, and that is what will condemn us or acquit us. And so Jesus says, the source of our words come from within. They are symptomatic, right? They show us whether our heart is healthy or whether our heart is unhealthy, whether it's sick. And there are Our words are extremely significant. So, if sinful motives, if a bad heart, if a a sick heart is the ground, if that's the reason for our words, including gossip, then what are some of the motives for our gossip? Does the Bible indicate to us any kind of relationship as to why we gossip and the motive behind it? How, How does gossip express itself in our life? Well, interestingly enough, what we find out is that the Bible gives us what I will call a gallery of gossips. That is a portrait, several portraits of people who gossip. They're prone to gossip. But not only that they are prone to gossip, but a little bit of why they gossip. That is the reason, the the broken, dirty, uh, unhealthy heart motives from which gossip springs. We, We get just a glimpse in four places in the Bible. So we move from the grounds of gossip to the gallery or a gallery of gossips. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to uh, an art gallery before, if you are into that kind of thing or not. Uh, I'm not particularly an art connoisseur. I appreciate art. I I enjoy watching it, uh, looking at it, I should say, and and observing it. Uh, However, I'm not an expert. But when we make our way up to Chicago, and we don't very often anymore, uh, but when we do, or when we have, one of the places we like to go is the Institute of Art, the Art Institute of Chicago. I don't know if you've ever been there before, uh, but I've heard it's, it's very good. And when I've been there, it seems to be good to me. You know, the art is pretty, I suppose. Uh, but one of the things that I've noticed when you go into the Art Institute of Chicago is that uh, the institute is arranged in what I will call galleries, right, of different kinds of collections. So depending upon the different kind of art that you want to see, you can pick an area of the, uh, of the museum. So if you like ancient art, they have an ancient art gallery. And if you like modern art, then they have a modern art gallery. If you like contemporary art, which, uh, forgive me, is really not very artsy or, or, or good. It's kind of out there. But if you like contemporary art, you can go see that. And then, of course, they have European art, which my wife is fond of the most. So that's where we go. We find the European art gallery. So they're just divided up. So you can know if I go to this gallery, certain things will characterize it, right? Certain things will be, uh, will be demonstrated there. Well, similarly, uh, the Bible has a gallery of gossips. And I will suggest to you, according to uh, the scriptures and according to uh, Mike Mitchell, who's written a book that I'm leaning on here, uh, he suggests four different types of gossips. We're talking not about the words, but the people. Four different types of gossips in the scriptures and what characterizes them. So let's take a look at the four kinds of gossips that the scripture reveals to us and then talk a little bit about the the underlying motives for them. First of all, uh, we see what I will call the spy. Uh, The first gossip in our gallery of gossips is what I will call the spy. 
If you have your Bible, turn now to the book of Proverbs with me. Uh, The book of Proverbs, go backwards a little bit, and uh, you will find uh, the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is a wonderful, practical book. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 13 is where we find a description of the spy. Proverbs 11, 13 says this, A gossip, so there's our word, right? A gossip betrays a confidence but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Now, we've, we've looked at this already, but I want to focus in on the Hebrew word there, translated a gossip, the gossip. The Hebrew word is uh, rakil, if you will, which means this. Uh, this Hebrew word describes, uh, and I quote, a peddler of secrets, according to the Hebrew dictionary. Someone who peddles uh, secrets, they're a peddler of secrets, a deceiver or a spy a peddler of secrets, a deceiver, or a spy. So what does this Hebrew word indicate about this kind of gossip who betrays a confidence as opposed to a trustworthy person who keeps a secret? Well, spies are eager-eared. They're eager-eared. That is, they constantly have their radars listening for juicy bits of gossip. They, They always are listening for it. They are question asking. That is, they pry into your life. They ask questions about you and about others in your life because they want to know the latest gossip. They're eager ear. They're question asking. They're secret seeking. So if you have a juicy secret, they want to know what it is. And they are dirty laundry loving. They love juicy bits of gossip. They love when dirty laundry that is uh, private is aired in public. They want to know this. Their heart motive likely is being in the know. They want to be known for being in the know. They want to be in the loop so that when somebody asks, hey, have you heard about so-and-so? They say, yes, I've absolutely heard about so-and-so. And let me tell you a little bit more about the situation. They want to be seen as in the know, as having the information. And so they spy out. They actively pursue gossip. So is there a spy in your life? Does that description remind you of anyone? Don't say it out loud, okay, (laughs) right? Uh, But uh, the reason why the scriptures portrays uh, these types of people is, number one, so that we can be aware of them, and number two, we can know if we actually are them, right? So we may be describing someone else, but we may be describing ourselves here, too. Is there a spy in your life? They're always asking you, about your life. They're always prying for more details. They want to know about what's going on with you and your family and your friends because they care about you maybe, but they want to know the goods. However, maybe you're the spy. Part of this is introspective. We look inward and we say, what is our heart like? Is it producing good fruit? Is it producing bad fruit? Maybe we're the spy. Maybe we're constantly prodding people to get more information. Maybe we constantly have our ears to the ground to hear the latest on the gossip chain. Maybe we always want to be the first to know. We want to be the first to know. So the Bible warns us about the spy. And the Bible tells us that we may be the spy as well. Next, Proverbs 16.28. So if you're in the book of Proverbs, turn just a chapter or two over to Proverbs chapter 16. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 28, we see another use, uh, another word translated gossip. However, it's a different word. So, Proverbs 16, 28, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip, there's our word in Hebrew, and a gossip separates close friends. 
So in this verse, we see a person who is inclined to create conflict. So think about this. Do you know anybody like this? They, they are just known for being cause, uh, conflict-causing. They, they cause fights. Proverbs says, perverse people stir up conflict. And a gossip could be one of those perverse people. They, uh, they, they stir up conflict in a particular way. They stir up conflict between friends. They separate, Proverbs says, close friends. Well, why do they do that? Why does this particular person, this gossip, do that? Well, the word in Hebrew is uh, nigran, and it's used of a person, according to the dictionary, quote, who is murmuring about another person behind their back rather than openly complaining about their behavior. So notice, who is the grumbler, right? Who is the grumbler? This person is the person who talks about other people behind their back instead of doing it openly, when they get hurt by that person, instead of going to the person who hurt them, they talk to others about how that person hurt them. You getting the picture? This is what a grumbler does. Likely, oftentimes, the grumbler is motivated by a real or a perceived hurt. That is, they legitimately were hurt by someone, or there was a perceived hurt. Maybe it wasn't sin, but there was a perceived hurt. They're, they're hurt by someone. You hurt me, so I'm going to tell other people about what you did to hurt me, right? That's what the grumbler does. Instead of actually going to you and saying, you hurt me, you sinned against me, I took this as a perceived offense, so I'm coming to you. No, the grumbler doesn't want to do that. The grumbler and, and cowardice goes to other people to talk about what that person did to them, motivated by likely perceived or real hurt. So do you know of a grumbler? Does that description fit anybody in your life, maybe now or present? They're always wanting to complain about somebody. Maybe at work, they're complaining about a boss. They're complaining about a coworker. They're complaining about their wife. Maybe at school, they're complaining about their siblings. They're complaining about their parents, maybe even at church. But they never talk to that person. And if you ask them, well, have you talked to that person about that? They say, well, no, I could never do that. Maybe you are the grumbler. Not only should we avoid these, these people, but maybe that is an apt description of us. Maybe we look inside and we say, that's me. I've been motivated by a real hurt. I've been motivated by a perceived hurt. And I've talked to other people about that person instead of that person who hurt me. And I've been guilty. I've been a gossip. I've been a grumbler. Maybe that describes you. We've seen the spy. We've seen the grumbler. Third, we see what I call the backstabber. The backstabber. This is typically what we think of as maybe the worst kind of gossip because it's most personal. It's most malicious. So third, uh, turn now with me to the book of Third John. That is in the New Testament, and you find your way towards the very end of the New Testament. If you get to Revelation, you're too far. If you find Jude, you're close. The book of 3 John is a very small little book. It's a short letter. It's not very, uh, very many verses, like 14 or 15 verses. And it's a little letter from the Apostle John. It's a little letter from the Apostle John, and he writes to one of his friends. And we saw this last week, so I won't go into it in detail, but he speaks to his friend of a church leader of whom his friend was apparently a part of who was gossiping with the intent to harm. That's the key. This man was gossiping with the intent to harm the Apostle John and his friends. So let's read it together, starting in verse 9 and running through half of verse 10. Verse 9, John says, I wrote to the church, 
But Diotrephes, there's the guy. Uh, that's not the way you want to get your name in the Bible, by the way, right? You don't want to get your name in the Bible in this way. I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first, will not welcome us. So when I come, I will call attention to what he is doing, spreading, and here's the key, malicious nonsense. Your translation may say gossip, spreading malicious nonsense about us. I think Diotrephes was a backstabber. What he was doing is he was gossiping maliciously. That is, his gossip intended to hurt. While grumblers often gossip out of pain, or maybe they gossip out of frustration, their, their intent is not necessarily to hurt that person. They're just venting. They're frustrated, right? But in, in, in the course of time, they do hurt that person. But that's, that's not so with the backstabber. The backstabber are people who are motivated by revenge. Their heart motivation is revenge. They, just, they don't just tell other people what you did to them like a grumbler. They tell lies or they tell shameful truths about you to get back at you, to stab you in the back, to betray a, a trust or to a, a malign and slander your name. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever been the victim of a backstabber before? Uh, most of us uh, throughout our lifetime have had the unpleasant experience of having a knife stabbed in our back by a gossip who is a backstabber. They gossip and they speak things that are truthful and hurtful or maybe lies simply to get us back, to do harm to us. Maybe you have been the victim of a backstabber, but let me ask you this. Have you ever been the backstabber himself or herself? Have you actually ever been the backstabber, spreading lies, digging out skeletons from the closet? I think most of us, if we were honest, not only have we been stabbed in the back, but we've actually stabbed others in the back as well. So we see the spy, we see the grumbler, we see the backstabber, and, and fourth, an interesting gossip, the busybody. Fourth, we see the busybody. Turn with me now to the book of 1 Timothy. So if you're in your New Testament, turn to your left a little bit, and you will find the book of 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5, we find a fourth portrayal of a gossip and the motive that could lie underneath that gossip. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 13. Now, we looked at this last week as well, so I'm not going to spend too much time on the context, but what we saw last week was that Paul is writing a letter to Timothy, who's kind of overseeing this church, and he writes to warn Timothy of the potential vices of allowing young widows, young widows, um, to be supported by the church. So he's making this argument. He's saying, here are widows who need to be supported by the church. Here are widows that maybe it would be unwise for us to support financially as a church. And he lists then several reasons uh, why it's unwise to support young widows. And then we see in verse 13, part of that, part of the reason is because they are prone or they could become busybodies. And in turn, they could be gossips. So let's read verse 13. Paul says, at the same time, at the same time, they also, speaking of these young widows, at the same time, they also learn to be idle. So notice the context. They learn to be idle. That is, they're being supported by the church. They don't have to work uh, or, or be supported by family members. So they just, they, they become idle. And he says, as they go, they go around from house to house, not merely being idle, but they're idle. So what's the result? What's the potential result? Not merely being idle, but also what? Gossips. 
but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. So I, I want us to see this connection. There's a connection here, Paul says, between idleness and gossip. Do you see that? There's a potential connection between being idle and being a gossip that meddles or gets involved with the business of others. That's what a busybody does. They get involved in other people's business when they should not be. Mitchell says this of this verse. He says that busybodies gossip, quote, for the purpose of living vicariously through the stories of others. That is, they gossip because they find life. They, they, they find life and meaning and purpose by telling and repeating the stories of other people. So they are idle and they don't have anything to do. So, therefore, they get involved in gossiping. They can be motivated, I think, by a couple things. Number one, boredom. I think oftentimes people, not just young widows, people as a whole, we can get involved in gossip because we, we're just bored. So maybe we can't work, or maybe we won't work, or maybe we don't have to work, or maybe we don't have home responsibilities. And so we are idle in that sense. And what uh, busybodies can do is they can fill the void. They can fill the void of their boredom with gossip. They can just get engaged in gossip. Or they can simply lack purpose. That is, they don't have anything to live for. Maybe they have a job. They have home responsibilities, but there's just something lacking in their life. They don't have anything to live for. They think their life is boring, so they look to the life of others to find fulfillment and, and, and entertainment. I wonder why, I wonder why, like People Magazine and Entertainment News and TMZ, why are these things that are basically involved in gossiping about celebrities, why is that so successful? Why do we care so much about celebrities? I'm sure there are a lot of reasons, and I'm not saying you shouldn't care about the life of celebrities, but I wonder, uh, for people who are just addicted to these kind of things, we just, we just live, they, they live off the news of others. Did you hear about so-and-so, this actress? Did you hear about that? Did you hear about the, the breakup? Did you hear about the scandal? Did you hear about the affair? Did you hear about the baby? And on and on and on it goes, because we lack purpose. We don't have any meaningful activities or, or purpose or pursuits or goals in our life, so we just find these people and we attach ourselves to them and we can get involved in gossip in that way. So do you know anybody who fits this bill? A, a busybody? For whatever reason, they live vicariously through the stories of others. Or maybe that's you. Maybe you look inside your heart and you say, boy, that, I'm, I'm prone to that. I'm prone to that. I'm prone to living vicariously through the stories of others, often involving gossip. So I want to wrap up with a question. How's your appetite these days? How is your appetite these days? No, not for candy, not for other holiday delicacies or turkey and dressing. What's your appetite like these days for sweet, savory, spicy, juicy morsels of gossip? How's your appetite? How's your heart? The good news is that though we gossip and we listen to gossip out of a heart that is sick, out of a heart that is motivated by sin, out of a heart that is motivated uh, uh, by that which is unholy. The good news is, is that through faith in Jesus Christ and through a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we can be given a new heart, 
that our old heart, the person who we were before we trusted in Christ, that our old heart is corrupted and it's deceitful and it's, and it's wicked. And we have all sorts of motives that can lead to all sorts of sin with our tongues, including gossip. And so if we find ourselves and we look through this gossip gallery and we say, I find myself here, I find myself either being uh, uh, a gossip by word or by, or by tongue, and you have to say there's something wrong with my heart, Right? It's not just entertainment. There's something wrong with my heart. And you find yourself there. The scripture says the place to go is to trust in the one who can give you new desires, who can give you desires for godliness, who can give you desires to have pure speech, who can give you desires to shun gossip that hurts and maligns and maliciously attacks other people. That's where we begin is with a relationship with God. And even though certainly people who are Christians legitimately fall into gossip, We all can fall into gossip. The hope for the Christian is that that's our fleshly heart, not our new heart. We have spiritual power to overcome, and we have new desires that we can feed that will help us to overcome and to produce good fruit out of a good heart. So I want to ask you this question. Not what kind of gossip are you, but how's your heart? How's your heart? What kind of tree are you? Are you a good tree that produces good fruit? Are you a bad tree that needs Jesus that produces bad fruit? Let's pray. And if you are the louder, if you would say in all honesty that I'm a bad tree that is producing all sorts of bad fruit, then pray with me and you can believe and trust in Jesus Christ and have a new heart. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you portray to us reality as it is, Uh, that the words that we say and the gossip that we are engaged in, you pin us, you nail us down, you describe a whole gallery of gossips that we all from time to time find ourselves engaged in in one way or another. And you show us that the motive for our gossip is not just something trite or insignificant, but the motives from which we gossip, it's, it's indicative of something that's going on spiritually deep within us. And our motives are corrupt. Our desires are evil. And there's only one way that that can be changed through faith in your son, Jesus. If there's a man, Father, or a boy, or a woman, or a young girl, or a child here that has not trusted in Jesus, and they would say, you know what, just like the Pharisees, I'm speaking out of a, a bad heart. I'm speaking evil out of my evil heart. I need to be born again. I need to have a new heart, as the Bible says that I can, so that I can begin to speak good things out of a good heart. If that's you, and you find yourself in that place, then pray this prayer with me in your heart. It's not a magic prayer. It's a prayer uh, of faith, calling and crying out to God that we want Jesus to be our Savior. And so pray this way. Father, I confess to you that I have a bad heart, and that I sin in many ways, including with my lips. I recognize that my sin is an offense to you, and that you, as a holy and just God, rightfully condemn me, and I am on my way to hell because of my sin, because of falling short of your standard. But I recognize that there is a substitute. There is one who died in my place for my sins. There is one who died for the sins that I commit with my lips, for my gossip, and he was nailed to a tree. And I trust in him that his sacrifice was enough for me to pay my penalty and my debt. And his perfect life is enough to be credited to my account for my imperfect life. And his resurrection from the dead is enough to offer me new life and a new heart. 
And so, God, I accept Jesus. I trust in what he did. Thank you for changing me and for saving me. May I now speak from the overflow of a good heart. Father, I pray for those of us here who are Christians, and we, we are sick. We're spiritually sick. Help us to recognize it. Help us to, to draw near to you. Help us after, to, to confess and repent of our sin and to ask that you would help us to overcome and to give us power by your Spirit so that we would not be spies or grumblers or backstabbers or busybodies, but that we would speak out of a pure heart in honor to you. And God's people said, amen. Let's do this. Let's stand, and we're going to close our service with a blessing from Psalm 51. Psalm 51, verse 10, David says this, and we'll, we'll read it together and be done. David says this, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. If that's your prayer, that we would have a pure heart and a steadfast spirit, say amen. Amen. Uh, welcome to, to lunch. See you guys next week.